before we get into the topic for today, I just wanted to bring up a couple of things that were recently brought to my attention by not one, but two of my friends, maybe more. Um, apparently, I have been using the word wino incorrectly. <laughs> How have you been using it? So I, I guess I made up the word in my head. I don't know. Um, and I just was thinking of like wine and to know, why no? And so I have always used it. Like the definition in my head was like a person that knows a lot about wine or is like really into wine. But as I was, <laughs> <laughs> do you know, or like, what do you think it is, Haley? You tell me what your friends say. And um, I mean, yeah, that's, <laughs> that is, it's to, Yes. That is what it means, but it also has connotations of someone that is very um, persnickety and has a big stick somewhere you don't want it. (laughs) Oh, see, nope, nope, nope. That's not what my friend said. And one of my friends even sent me a definition of it. And apparently it is a, a drunk type person or a person that drinks too much and typically is associated with people on the street with paper bags. Mm, interesting. Which is like 180 of what I've been using it as. So <laughs> I think it probably depends on how you spell it. If it's W-I-N-E dash O or W-I-N-E-A-U-X. Is that French? <laughs> it's a it's a conglomeration of wine and Bordeaux, like wino. Uh, so uh, it's a you know like a fancy, yeah. Um, okay, so I'm going with the fancy one, right? Because the fancy one means like <laughs> I don't. I mean, people? maybe your friends are w- w- much more well informed than I am. Okay, words well, do evolve and change, though. So maybe that's how it started out, and now it's much more of a term used for somebody who is um, into wine. But usually okay. in the industry, when somebody talks about winos, it's not in a it's not a beloved term. It's like a rolling your eyes because someone's such a wino. Okay, well, that's also not what I meant. So to <laughs> all of the people out there that were offended by this word or you know, took it for another definition. That is not what I meant. And <laughs> I now need a new word. So Haley, what word should I use? <laughs> um, uh, wine lover? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I feel like everything else I've thought of is like a giant definition of like a person that likes wine. You're really into wine. <laughs> so, okay. Well, a winophile? <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I guess if you have good suggestions, let me know because I need some help on this. A vino. Oh, I don't know if people would get it, though. (laughs) Anyways, if you have suggestions for me, let me know. And if you were offended by it, I'm really, really sorry. So, um, Uh. (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Again, I don't know. I don't know where I came up with that. Maybe it's you know, my lack of hearing everything. And I don't know. I don't know why, but (laughs) 
Not an excuse, but I'm going to change and not use that word because apparently it's offensive. So, or it could be, or yeah. it's like it's I said. A different... I think that definitions change over time, and I think that one has definitely changed. It's not not necessarily offensive, um, at least not to definitely isn't offensive to me. And um, even though I kind of know the the connotations of of uh, people drinking on the street and paper bags and everything. I don't think that that's what people think of anymore when they talk about winos. Okay. Okay. Well, let us know. (laughs) (laughs) I will take the criticism. Uh, Okay. And then one other thing I wanted to let you know about was that I have been converted. (laughs) Haley, after, after our last conversation, I opened up a bottle of wine I think it was a white wine. And I got out like a whole bunch of my different glassware, found out that I had that Scotch Weissel. Yep. I have apparently some glasses from him. Don't know where those came from. Maybe (laughs) one of my friends. I don't know. Um, And then, yeah, or maybe a thrift store. And uh, possible. So, so yeah, I tried your method of like putting it in a whole bunch of different containers, and I got out my trusty mug too <laughs> to compare, and I found out that the mug was the worst tasting one. <laughs> it doesn't direct the wine onto your palate where it should go. Yes, and I did recognize that. Like I had some that like really turned in and with that white wine I was like, no, this is this is not right. So yeah. um and then also it was fun just like when I just poured it out the first and like went through and smelled, even like the smell was a little different of sorts. It kind of like cuz of just how it, you know, came up. Yeah. So um I pulled my husband in he had just like gotten home from work and I was like try this out and he you know like normal thought I was a little crazy but at the same time now I'm I'm not gonna drink wine out of a mug because I learned that it was the worst (laughs) it's okay you can always like that can be your backup yes it was it would be worse not to drink wine because you don't have the proper glass than to, you know, no wine at all versus improper glass. Definitely take the improper glass. Well, (laughs) my husband also said, what? We're not going to have mug Ashley? Ashley with her mug is no longer (laughs) going to be a thing. And I was like, I know. So so long are the days of my mug wine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's awesome that you tried it out and you kind of did your own experiment. And yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for... uh, teaching me so that's what it's that's why we're here um having these conversations yeah I'm excited for you to teach me today a little bit about grazing yeah Um, I've been definitely asking you for a while about uh any tips you have about adding um, animals into our vineyard system and kind of Mm -hmm. pasteurization or not pasteurization but our pasture Mm -hmm. so um we if we add a permanent uh permanent residents. I think it'll be like mixed flock of chickens and geese and that kind of thing. But um, I was really fascinated by some research that I came across from the Gowden lab down at UC Davis about using sheep in the vineyard. Um, So uh, yeah. yeah. So we can chat about that today. So hopefully people enjoy it. And um, I do want to just put out the caveat that this is something that I've been learning a lot more about in the last year or two. So there's definitely still a lot of stuff that I am not the 
the expert on, but I have been learning a lot and find it really fascinating. And I love how it kind of merges our two things together. So, yeah. I'm Haley. This is Ashley. We are Whole Cluster Conversation. How would you loosely define um, grazing? Uh, yeah, or like grazing <laughs> specific sites. Like how, how would you, is there different types of grazing? Um, and um, so that I feel like we're going to get into this subject and there's going to be some things that we need to have a reference point for. One being like, um, what is grazing? Of, yeah, what is grazing and then kind of levels of grazing. Yeah, so grazing is just basically putting some animals out onto typically like a pasture is what people think of. Um, and or you could think of like rangeland, you know, just like, you know, like you have, um, I think believe it's BLM land behind you. Yeah. And so oftentimes people, ranchers will just put animals out to graze out there. Um, and so, you know, there's there's a difference between somebody having a pasture that just has an animal on it that's eating and then they're like, you know, putting um, like hay or, or a supplement nutrients out there and they're like always on the same thing. Not that they're not grazing, but it's, um, it's the, I just want to bring up that there's like, you know, having your animal on a pasture and then there's like having a grazing system that you're doing and and intentionally thinking about not just feeding your animal, but also um, thinking about your pasture and your plants and trying to work towards having better plant vigor and plant health and, and also soil health. And so you're thinking about it a little bit differently than just having it on. And in that, those we have something that we typically call like a heavy use area. And so that's like exactly like what it sounds. It's an area that like near a barn or just that like paddock that's like right near a barn where you're having your animals most of the time. And so that's a little bit different than like grazing systems. Yeah. The word that I came across a lot was intentional grazing, like you just said. Yeah. And then um, there's like the different, there's uh I can't remember exactly what they were, but like heavy grazing, um, they use a lot of percentages. Um, and that... Um, if There's get, a lot of math in it. Yeah. Like that was a sh one of the big shocking aha moments for me with learning about this stuff. So Yeah, definitely. It was really interesting to learn um, that like if you have a good shepherd, mm -hmm. you can tell them like, we only want to um, take down like 50% of our... You know, that's that's what our consultant said. Like, we only want to take down 50% of our biomass so mm -hmm. that um, we still have good ground cover and that kind of and, and they're able to graze intentionally yeah. enough that they only take about half of what is there, yeah. <laughs> which is just a kind of like I didn't realize that sheep were so trainable, basically, and like you can move them along and it's really cool. Yeah. So I think the other one, there's like targeted grazing was another one that I came up and they're yeah. just um, prescribed grazing um, is one that I'll, I'll probably use that term a lot. Um, so they, I, th I think that there's a lot of the same words that are used for these different things, but um, targeted grazing is, you know, I, I get, 
how I interpreted it was just like, here's a specific time. We're trying to get a particular thing. We're just like rarely narrowing in. Um, Prescribed grazing is a system that you're thinking about like a prescription of like where you're going to have them. You're going to, you know, build out different fencing and different stuff to, and like be moving them. And you're going to be thinking about that prescription, like you were saying with your consultant of how long um, or how much you're going to be taking off and when you're going to be moving them to different areas. So cool. So that gets a little bit into kind of what the different uses are, but um, what, especially in the Northwest or maybe in the little bit of research you've done about vineyards, like what are some of the uses for grazing on a vineyard site? Yeah. So what typically grazing or one of the big benefits in my mind of grazing is, you know, getting rid of that biomass of, or, you know, just having them consume vegetation, sorry, Um, having them consume vegetation. And so, what I was seeing is people using it to in between vine rows to get, you know, that grass or matter down. Um, another thing you can be thinking about with it or a benefit is like soil moisture. And there's, um, and that just has to do with like, you know, controlling those loads and also just like adding different like nutrient inputs to it. Um, so as a, in, in your case, we're going to use sheep as they're going through the vineyard, they're going to be, you know, pooping and yeah. uh, then that's going to be putting their manure and their nutrients and helping with your soil um, uptake. So it can also help with plant diversification. So having a variety of plants in your pasture. So that's oftentimes in like a pasture type situation, but even still like within the vineyard thinking of not just having like grasses in there, but through a prescription grazing. And that's where like you were mentioning having somebody that's moving them along in a very regular manner so that they're not just like focusing in on a particular plant, but you you can have it done in that way mm-hmm. so that it's like, we'll take out a specific plant. Um, but you can, by kind of putting them through and having them graze, then that will help with your plant diversification because it will be kind of like getting rid of some so that others can grow. So maybe you're, you're thinking of your grass to like your um, legume clover for other plant species um, and having a good mixture of that. Um, the other really cool thing in the vineyard situation that I was looking at and thinking about is um, just like pests and stuff. And so you can use it by... Um, using chickens and some other stuff that will actually target certain pest species. Um, So that's a little different than grazing, but, you know, they're grazing, I guess, pests. Um, And also thinking about, um, you know, if you're keeping, you don't want to keep your grasses too low and we'll hopefully go into that later, um, those heights and stuff, but you can kind of help manage pest species and outbreaks in the vineyard and on your pasture. Yeah. Something that they they seem to use sheep for in New Zealand, especially, um, is to do like a, a pass in the vineyard to mm-hmm. leaf thin, which I thought was yeah. interesting. It's very, um, you know, even if you have a really great shepherd, you do have uh, like 
you can't necessarily train the sheep to not eat the fruit or not damage the fruit. But if you can have them go through and kind of leaf strip for you, um, it does help with a a labor. And then also, um, especially they were talking about it and the, the, the payoff for um, carbon. So like, if you're not, if you're not using a diesel um, tractor to go through and do your leaf stripping, then that's a huge um, decrease in your carbon footprint. Yeah. Well, and kind of that reminded me, I know this is a little bit off, but another benefit is sometimes by, you know, keeping your grasses down, it can help if you have a fire go through. And so that was something that in um, near Santa Rosa in, um, in Napa area in the last couple of years, they've had a, a number of big fires that have come through and that some vineyards and like tree farms and different things have talked about how, you know, their grazing system helped with that. So, yeah, Um, that's, um, I was really impressed by a lot of the research coming out of um, the Gowden lab at UC Davis. And it was a little bit hard to find, like on their own website, it was a little hard to find, but then if you, if I, when I just went to Google, uh, it was great. So um, I'll definitely, post a couple of those in the show notes but um but yeah I the fire suppression talking about water moisture availability in the soil water holding capacity of the soil and how much it was impacted and changed um I think they even are doing some research on the effect of um grazing on just the rhizomes in the soil which is really interesting yeah Yeah. so one of the other ones that I wanted to bring up was the Sustainable Agricultural Research and Education. Um, they have a newsletter and I actually get that newsletter and I just love it because they just like have different articles and research. And I've actually found out, I didn't realize this at first, but when I was looking them up to just kind of fi- just find something um, that they have, it's actually a grant program. It's broken up by the different regions like here in the U.S. Um, and so you can get, if you have an innovative idea, you can like get a grant program to help with it. And so there was uh, a project a couple years ago that was about the um, using sheep on vineyards and kind of like how that worked. And then I think, I think it was on that site too. One of them was talking about how you could train sheep to have an adversity or, or not want to go after the vines. And they had a whole thing about how you could do that. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. Very so then cool. they're not as selective. So, um, yeah, yeah it but. does sound like they're pretty trainable. So that's not surprising thinking about it from that perspective, but also mm-hmm. still kind of crazy that you could do that. Yeah, but it's it's called SAR too, S A R E, um, and they I recommend people sign up for their newsletter if they're interested. I mean, they do all sorts of agricultural um, research, but it's also just a really good resource for classes and and finding those like papers and kind of some scientific stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, we can try to put a link um, in our show notes for that too. Yeah. Um, so thinking about like a vineyard system, I was wondering in this thought experiment, if you had any um, ideas or even maybe suggestions for if somebody was thinking about either 
planting a vineyard. So like designing a vineyard and wanting to use grazing or have an existing vineyard. Um, if there are certain things that you think are really important to, to make think the grazing, grazing, yeah, make it more effective. I mean, one of the things in all of this, because like I said, like I have some experience with pasture management and thinking about that. So when, you know, over these months, you've asked me these questions, I've always, I've been, you know, talking to different colleagues and and doing some different research. And one of the things that really came up was this is a newer topic. Like, (laughs) I mean, even you were noticing, like there's a lot of research. So I think your need going into this, you need to be the type of person that's ready for like, we're going to learn, we're going <laughs> to like um, use this as a research opportunity, maybe get in with, you know, somebody like the Gout Lab from UC, is that how you say it, from UC Davis mm-hmm. um, or, you know, your local extension program. And um, so I think that's the first thing you just need to know, like going I was in thinking that it is newer. In the Snake River Valley area, uh, because we have such a high population of um people of Basque descent. I was thinking, Yeah. I was wondering if there was mm-hmm. a way to, yeah, if somebody really wanted to do some research by connecting kind of the Basque community. And I know that they still have such strong ties to their, uh, to the, the Basque homeland to mm-hmm. like maybe make it full circle in terms of like vineyard and cause they grow grapes in the Basque country, yeah. vineyard and sheep all together, <laughs> like doing, yeah. and you could even do some research in Spain and some in, like well, the Basque country. Yeah. You know, I'm Basque. Did you mm-hmm. know that? I have a little Basque in me. Anywho. Um, so yeah, that, and that's where it could be a really cool collaboration of working together. Yeah. Um, and doing more of that research to figure out like what, what works. And what yeah. Maybe, what I think the work. other, the big, the big components you're going to need to think about with design or whatever is, um, yeah, how you're going to be moving your sheep, sheep, animals, sheep are really great because of the forage and what they can eat. Like, you know, okay. we talked about great or grapes. Of course, we talked about grapes. Goats. <laughs> we talked about goats at one point. And the thing to know about goats is, you know, you can use them, but they tend to want to go after woody plants and also um, just for their nutrients, like they'll oftentimes need to be supplemented with some other stuff if you're just having okay. them grazing grasses. So that's why sheep are are kind of the preferred alternative at this point um, for vineyards. Um, so what you're going to want to think about is, you know, how they're going to go through there. Some of the stuff that I saw was people put up some sort of fencing around, you know, the the vines themselves. So that's like something to come into consideration if you're going to do that. Um, The other thing is, I would say exclusion fencing is really important. So if you have any water on your property or just like what areas in between the vines that you're going to want to like move the sheep through, you're going to want to put up those fencing ahead of time. And you could do a temporary fencing situation. um, Or if you have something like a stream or a wetland, you're going to want to have an exclusion fencing. And that's going to be something you'll want up permanently if you are having sheep coming through very regularly. Um, And that's mainly to keep them out of the water, keep them from compacting the area, because as it gets wet and muddy, 
you know, they're, they're not heavy, but you know, a lot of them going through that area can compact that soil um, down there. So if there's also, you know, maybe the, think about that, like if you have a lot of drainage issues that you're going to want to keep that in mind. Um, the other thing that I learned recently, because I'm actually working with a, a consumer or a producer that has sheep, was that sheep, you're going to want to use like a woven wire fence oftentimes. And, you know, you can work with your, the the person that has the sheep because um, if, you know, your thing is yeah, not. That's something we haven't mentioned, actually, a caveat that um, in a lot of this research, people do not suggest you just have sheep living on your vineyard or yeah. property all yeah. the time. They need to be moved around. So you should be yeah. looking for a service that can where somebody owns them and can yeah. help you with that. I think I saw a couple cases where people did have them as part of their overall property and then they would run them through. Like right. they kind of had like their pastures for the sheep and then they would run them through. And it mm-hmm. was kind of like they had multiple things going on, but those are obviously like larger places, larger farms that had. Or it's things. part of their, like there's a place in Idaho and it's definitely part of their story. It's not necessarily yeah. like a necessity. It's part of what they believe in their vineyard yeah. practices. Yeah. But what I was going to say is so woven wire fence is really good for sheep, especially in areas that you're going to put up like a a permanent fence. But even still, there's like woven wire that you can move. And that the I had not thought about this, but (laughs) they're when they get really wooly, they don't feel electric. So like electric fence because they got that nice little buffer on them. So they'll just push their way through. (laughs) That's really good to know. We actually had goats come out and do a fire suppression graze at Mm -hmm. the vineyard. Uh, I think it was, uh, I don't even know if we had everything trellised yet. I think it was four years ago. We had just planted or Mm -hmm. probably before we planted. Um, And yeah, they used electric fence and you have to move it. And so if Mm -hmm. you're, and if you are a tender heart and you like goats are very uh, stubborn. And so even if they're like, they didn't want to be up against the fence, but they would push it and they would go and they would get up against the fence and like be like, just because they (laughs) wanted to reach over the fence. It was worth it. The payoff was worth it to them. So if you have a very tender heart, just be aware that if you're going to work with goats, they, they uh, push their boundaries and, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, probably aren't yeah. hurt, but they sound like they are because of their buying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and I mean, on that, like, I, as, as a person that, you know, owns a property in my mind, you know, you're thinking about your crop, you're thinking about your soil health, hopefully. And so you're gonna want and but you don't necessarily know the animals. And so that's where somebody else is going to come in. And their priorities are really about like, you know, getting their animals fed and the animal health and like, you know, moving them through. And so you're going to really want to advocate for yourself and like what, you know, you want on your property and the goals. Okay. And so working and finding somebody that you work well with there is important. Um, and so... Cause Do you, you have resources on... Um, how to find people? Have you used any resources like that with your clients? No, not really. Typically, like they have them or typically it's like they already have the animals. And so a lot of what I'm doing is coming in and talking about the importance of the soil health and things that they can be doing to, you know, increase their soil and 
you know, healthiness of their soil, I guess, and, and their plant diversification and, and having their pastures be healthy and maybe get, getting rid of like issues with livestock and streams, or, um, like I mentioned, those kind of compaction areas, which you're going to have, but, um, trying to just think about that prescribed grazing and, um, kind of overall management with it. So, So do you think that there are certain areas that grazing isn't a tool? Like I, I know the streams, but I yeah. mean like ag areas. Are there certain um, crops or are there certain setups that are just not a good fit for grazing? Uh, probably. I, I don't know. I think one of the things to think about is with, with grazing, we have this really cool thing that's called a pasture stick. Um, and what it has, I wish I could just show y'all it. Um, and I don't know that it's like a wide, like, I don't know if you can just Google pasture stick and come up with this exactly, but the, it's just a tool that we have. And all you really need to know is like, you go out there and it tells you the heights of your plants for when you should be grazing and when you shouldn't be grazing. And that really has to do with the plant heights. And so um, we always say like three inches, three inches to six inches, three inches is kind of bare minimum. Once your vegetation is getting under three inches, you need to be taking the animals off. And I went to a really cool conference this last year as part of this pasture calendar training is what they called it. And um, it was from a bunch of different researchers. And because of the Zoom world now or like the digital world, uh, I was able to hear from people across the country and the research that they'd done. And one of the research, and unfortunately, I tried to look it up and I couldn't find the exact person. But one of the research persons that I found was uh, out, they were out of the Midwest, I believe. And they had done a really cool project in the lab where they had taken different grass and then they had cut it at like three inches, six inches, or just like kind of let it go. And then they had looked at the root vigor of the plant. And what that they had found, oh, and there was like under three inches, was like an inch and a half, was that the root vigor of their plants was significantly less when it was under three inches. Because what's happening is you're not having enough photosynthesis and enough like plant mass above to build healthy roots, Um, which is really important if you think about your vines, if you think about, you know, other stuff in there. But the other thing is that kind of plays into soil moisture. Um, it It's because, you know, then things are going to get down into the roots. It's also going to help with like compaction and diversity because if you have oftentimes, so to kind of get to your question about like systems you shouldn't be grazing is like if you have a lot of mud and you don't have vegetation or a lot of vegetation or really sparsy vegetation, like you're going to, if you do choose to graze on that, you're going to want to fence off the areas that don't have the vegetation and you're going to want to do maybe a flash graze of some of that to move them through because you don't want to be grazing when you have really low stuff. Um, And then but then by doing that, it'll reseed in, which then the roots will go down into the soil, break up the soil more, which will really help. So oftentimes people are like, oh, I just got to till it. It's I'm not getting plants in here. But 
oftentimes with grazing, you can start to get that. And then the animals are also adding nutrients to it as well. So, yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting. I heard in one of the things that I watched to prepare for this week, something like, well, I'm probably going to get it wrong now, but I think he said <laughs> um, like 90% of the nutrients that is in a, in a grass, uh-huh. like basically passes through a sheep and comes out the other side. So like 90% of the nutrients you want that's already there is now uh-huh. available to other plants, oh, which is nice, kind nice. of crazy to think about. They take up such little nutrients from, I mean, little, yeah. they're able to put on like half a pound a day too, depending on how they're grazing. So it's, <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's when at the top I talked about like the the math that goes in and this is where I get a little bit like I've only done it a couple times, but there's really cool like grazing calculators you can do that will tell you like based on how much plant availability, forage availability you have and how many then how many sheep you're going to have or like how many animals and you can do it by the type of animals and there's people have already calculated things about like how much they need per day and whatever. And then you will know how long you can also then put said sheep or, or, or whatever. Right. Cows, animal. (laughs) animal, Yeah. Onto the property. So it's kind of like you, you put all these things in of like, I have this many acres with this much about, you know, tons of forage available, Um, and maybe your question is like, like how many days do I put my, like, I have 80 sheep. How many days can I put it on there? Or I have four sheep. And so that's going to depend because obviously if you have less, then you can have them for more days, but you're also going to want to think about, you know, are they a selective eater? Are they a graze, a a browser, (laughs) like a a goat is? And then that's where having a good shepherd that's moving them through and, and having different like paddocks or regions that they can, and using the fencing to kind of move them where you want is really important. Yeah. That kind of brings me to an interesting, so is there, like you were saying, there's certain things that goats like the woody tissue. So obviously Mm -hmm. in a vineyard, maybe not the best because you want that woody tissue to be left alone. But in other places, they could be great. Sheep um, may be good for something else. Are there certain animals that you feel like are prescribed for different, obviously they're prescribed for different things, but what are some of the highlights of what different animals are prescribed for grazing different things? Yeah. I mean, again, I'm getting a little out of my wheelhouse here. I definitely sent out an email recently asking about using goats for prairie grousing to like a regional listserv and got lots of education on why goats are not used for prairie grousing, browsing. And I think (laughs) that that kind of goes in and then that's into like vineyards because um, prairies are going to be, you know, your forbs and your grasses. And that's where I got like, okay, they are good for like blackberry management. Like if you have blackberry on the edge, um, you know, they, they won't go be able to go up too high, but, um, I had some people tell me some really creative ways of how they like laid down like plywood to be able to like then have them like they kind of graze that and they lay down the plywood so then they could like go up onto it more to get like higher and like graze it down um and that has to do with 
the animal health and thinking about the nutrients that animals need. And so you can use um, you can use goats on um, grass systems. You just want to make sure that you you might need to be supplementing their diet a little bit with some other stuff. So. Um, and then, like I said, sheep are great. Another thing that people sometimes will use, I think cattle in the vineyard system are a little bit difficult just because they're so large. Yeah, there's some examples of people, but a lot of times they're smaller stature cattle and they're, they are yeah. not grazed during the growing season only in the yes. winter. Yeah, and so one of the things that I saw with what people were calling somebody called targeted grazing was uh, with the sheep and stuff to think about that timing in October, April, July, August. And uh, I mean, I had some questions if that really made sense in terms of the vines and what's going on there. But um, that's what, you know, somebody was saying that they did. Um, And again, it has to do with what the animals are going to be eating at that time. And so thinking about what you have to then the, the appropriate animal for that crop. So, and then, you know, too, like, think about the weight of the animal. Like, cows are heavy. So, like, you know, think about that with, like, your soil compaction and how quick you're running it through. Um, and, you know, make sure to keep them out of the streams or any wet, muddy areas. So, um, the last question kind of within that wheelhouse that I have is about, um, like native versus non-native plants. Mm-hmm. Is it true, or maybe I should ask it more broadly, are there any animals that will target non-native plants before the native plants? Um, or is that, I've heard that that like chickens and, and especially geese are really good at that, but I don't know that I've ever seen any actual research that shows I it. don't, I think it's hard. <laughs> and that's, that's the thing that people want to say. I just want my animal to go through and get rid of, say, tansy. And that's all I want it to do. Well, there's a cool moth biocontrol for that. But um, I think it's a little bit harder. And I think it's just thinking about, like, if you want them to eat, like, they're going to, especially goats, are going to, like, go after what they like first. And then Mm. they'll move on to what they don't like. And so that might be, like, okay, confining them to really like go after certain areas um, so that, you know, you're kind of getting a good amount. But I could just go back to that, like thinking about that pasture stick that I brought up and thinking about your heights and so that you're making sure to move them along as they did. And you can always, again, they're a tool in your tool belt of different things to use. And so maybe it's, hey, they can go through and get out like 85%. And then all I have to do is come back with a weed eater and it takes up like a 10th of my time to just get rid of those last little bits of things that I don't, didn't want. So, you know, and another thing you need to think about, and and oftentimes people are looking at, at grazing for moving towards a more organic or biodynamic system. But if you do have herbicide or pesticide that you are incorporating into your system, you do need to be mindful of that and like what you're using. And oftentimes the the people that have the animals want to know what you're using um, when you sprayed. And sometimes you have to take that into consideration of timing because you don't want to hurt your animals. Yeah, that's a really good point to make. Yeah. 
What did um, I miss that you wanted to talk about? I feel like I've got all my questions answered, but I know there's way more, <laughs> way more out there. I mean, there is a lot, and I. But one of the things I really wanted to bring up, um, or or talk about that I found, you know, we talked about fencing a lot, um, and we talked a little bit about the animals and like with the sheep. One of the things that I learned is that baby doll South Down sheep, which P.S., if you've never seen a picture uh, of a don't baby. Don't do it. You'll just oh, want one. Yes, <laughs> so they cute. are. They are so <laughs> adorable. But I was reading that some vineyards have had success, um, and it has to do with how they like set up their vines in the trailing system, but have had success using that particular variety because they're so little that they can't get up into the grapes as much. Yeah, yeah. So. There's like a whole... Um almost market for for like the smaller step like getting them smaller and smaller 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 (laughs) but that being said they're a heritage breed and there's not a lot of them and so they can be very cost prohibitive like if you have if you know somebody that has them great um and 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 that's an option use it but if you don't then um you know using another variety of sheep that is larger is fine but you're just gonna have to think again about those timings of when the grapes are on there because yeah um you you're the sheep herder that you work with might not always you know that might not be their specialty as you know like I was saying this is kind of a newer thing so they might be used to grazing their sheep on pasture and so the sheep might be like oh those grapes I want (laughs) them and so that's just a consideration to be to be made. Um, yeah, I definitely would say if you're wanting to do that, uh, if you have less than a four foot trellis wire for training, mm-hmm. um, probably, probably really, really tempting for any any grazing animals, yeah. <laughs> other than maybe like sheep and chickens. But even then, I mean, sorry, not sheep, chickens and geese. Um, but even then, I would say if things pickings are scarce, uh, I wouldn't doubt that that any fowl would get get into your grapes so oh they love chickens love grapes um my parents actually so i mean they have um some grape vines over their pergola and that they got from a local uh vineyard friend um (laughs) farmer friend and uh they actually had turkeys this last year wild turkeys like they've not i we never had turkeys and there's, I had so many questions about why the turkeys were showing up. But one of the things was I was like, I think they discovered your grapes because they would come in and they'd have like 25 wild turkeys <laughs> just hanging out on their pergola eating that grapes. Funny. So, I mean, I guess beware of the wild turkeys. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Did your dog have a turkey tag? Was it in season? No. <laughs> And they just they just really enjoyed watching them. Right. Like, I love move turkeys. Through. Yeah. I would just get these text messages of like multiple pictures of all these turkeys. <laughs> um but I one of the other cool things that I was uh learning with chickens and other poultry is that they're really great for vine weevils. Oh. Yeah. And that some people have had a lot of success um by you know, putting chickens out onto their property 
to help take care of the vine weevils. But again, yeah. they'll go after your grapes too because they love them. So, but if that's something like I was reading some places like in Chile and Argentina that were having real success with that um, cool. as part of their system. Um, yeah, I think. Oh, I did have one other question for you, Haley. We, yeah. I kind of breezed over it, but, you know, I had mentioned that somebody had said that having a target grazing time of October through April and then again, July through August. Does that make sense for you, that timing? Um, yes, um, I would say. So there was... What's a- going on in the vineyard at So after October, typically your vines are going dormant. Um, So it's fine to do a grazing pass because you're not going to affect the vines unless something's eating the woody tissue. Mm -hmm. Um, And even then, anything that's on the ground that might have been pre-pruned or that kind of thing, um, I was seeing that there was was a mention in some of the Gowden research about uh, that... uh, ruminant stomach so the sheep Mm -hmm. if they're grazing and they're eating up anything left over like even even fruit that's been like tossed on the ground or fallen off the vine um their stomach and everything going on in their system will actually kind of clean that and and then when they poop it out there's no disease left if you have a problem with mildew or something like that in your vineyard it's actually really good to have a pass because um they um get rid of anything bad by eating it Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, that makes sense to me. The July, August, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Maybe for fire suppression, I could oh, like okay. we in our area, it's pretty dry right now. So I would say, you know, in other years we haven't worried as much. Um, but this year we're starting to look around and it's smoky every day. We don't have a lot of fires, um, super proximate You're to where welcome. we are. <laughs> Those are from us. <laughs> but, um, it definitely is a little bit, you know, we kind of raise our eyebrows and go, okay, is this the year that we're going to have to use our, um, like we have some old water lines set up that mm-hmm. supposedly would, if we had a fire on our property, we could just like turn on the water and it would help. Um, I don't yeah. know that it would stop anything, but uh, so we're definitely looking around thinking uh, a, a fire suppression pass would have been really nice to do this year or mm-hmm. um, right now. But we just don't have we don't have the infrastructure to do a a pass. Yeah. Um, we have to hire somebody out for sure. And then mm-hmm. even then they need to have a pretty, pretty good infrastructure to be able to keep. Uh, we've just done goats in the past. So I don't know about sheep, yeah. but to keep the goats out of the uh, grapes. Yeah. And I mean, goats are fine. Again, it's just yeah, thinking about the grapes and whatever. And yeah. I mean, another thing is getting at that soil moisture and just like having that other stuff is like, you know, that can be helpful for um, and not having, yeah, it get too high because then it right. will ladder up. Um, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of, great resources out there. And to me, what's really cool about this topic is, again, that the science is there if you look at pasture systems and you can like really learn about like, you know, plant health, soil health, grazing patterns, and those things can all be applied to the vineyards. And I think what's new is just actually putting them on the vineyard. And right. so if you want to be an early adopter or, you know, you want to get into that, then I think it's good. And I think there's a lot of research opportunities out there Yeah, based in sound science that's been around for a long time, because again, 
a lot of the principles that we learn from pasture systems are applicable to vineyards just with a Definitely. couple of tweaks. Yeah. So, um, I really liked the, um, I think we should probably put a link in our show notes to Fiber Shed as well, which the oh, Gowden yeah. Lab works with pretty closely. And I think there's a chapter in, I don't know if they're in the Portland area, but somewhere okay. in Oregon that we don't have any chapters in Idaho, it didn't look like. But um, okay. somebody on their team was saying that, you know, if you think about the food system, and a lot of us in the last couple of years have been thinking about the food system and that like some things need to change, especially mm-hmm. meat production. And mm-hmm. um, if you're able to use land for pasture, even mm-hmm. even just a little bit, that's a step in the right direction. So even if mm-hmm. we're not allowed, or not allowed, um, even if we don't want to have sheep or cows or goats or chickens on our property 365 mm-hmm. days a year, um, if we can have you them. You don't. Right. But, <laughs> but um, if we can have them there for five days a year, 10 yeah. days a year, you know, even just a very small amount um, in terms of how many days it takes uh, for a, a some something to be raised, yeah. it still is a, a pretty big step in the right direction compared to not having anything um, pastured there. Yeah. And I mean, my parents have goats on their property and it was somebody that was just looking for an interim place in between and and noticed that they had an overgrown pasture, which was perfect because my parents were actually like trying to find somebody to come out and graze it. And so it ended up working great. And so um, I think just with that, you know, know that, you know, you're going to have to develop a relationship with that person that has the the livestock and then um, just really advocate for yourself and your goals and make sure that, you know, they know like, hey, I don't want your animals like in this portion and like I'm going to put up a fence and and do that and there's a lot of great resources out there for helping um with you know those plans and and whatever else um but just be a good advocate for yourself and make sure that you know you can reap a lot of benefits from them but it can go it can also turn you know if you if you if you have them for too long um you know you can end up having real issues with like mud and um you know yeah. and manure thinking about you know keeping those that manure out of areas that you you don't want so next week we're going to be talking about wine storage uh, you know, especially like cellaring your wines, what temperature they need to be stored at, if there are other conditions to think about. Uh, I know Ashley recently moved into her house, so she has some questions about storing wine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we had grand plans, but uh, yeah, we're, we're in the creative process right now. <laughs> um, so if you have questions about storing your wine, especially, um, we're going to talk mostly about bottle storage. We could talk about, you know, barrels and other things, but, um, we're going to focus on bottles, bottles in your home slash other areas that you might be storing bottles. Um, so let us know if you have questions about how to store your wine, maybe some funny stories or some great pictures of the most awesome wine sellers you've seen and uh, email them in that whole cluster conversation at gmail.com. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Whole Cluster Conversation. Music provided by Michael Johnson of Grand Falconer. Audio production provided by our friend Ukiah Bogle. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you like to listen. Ciao.